0: And Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush
1: Care. In this show, we're going to bring you nature's take on the latest COVID-19 developments. And we'll be speaking to experts around the world about research during the pandemic.
0: We're entering a new era now. We have new COVID strategies. There's some new unknowns and we've got a vaccine.
1: Hello and welcome to Coronapod. I'm Noah Baker, and joining me this week is nature's finest Heidi Ledford. Heidi, how are you?
2: (laughs) I'm fine, thank you.
1: (laughs) You've not been on the show for a little while now, and we've brought you back on to talk about something that I believe we've said before, we're going to come back to this, which is long COVID. And specifically, what we're talking about here is what you've described as ghosts lingering in the gut. Very evocative headline there. Tell me, what do you mean by ghosts in the gut? And then how might that be linked to long COVID?
2: Ghosts in the gut is a nice alliteration. I have to admit, I can't take credit for the term ghost, um, but I quite like it. It's something that uh, one of my sources, Amy Bott, used in a seminar, and so I lifted it from there. But the idea, it's one of the hypotheses that are floating around for possible causes for long COVID. And there are lots of different hypotheses that are floating around, and they're not mutually exclusive. Many of them could be operating in different people, some of them could be operating in the same person. You know, It's a mess at the moment trying to sort out what's really causing long COVID. But one hypothesis is that there's some sort of lingering reservoir of virus or viral antigen, something that the virus made that is stimulating the immune system long after the initial signs of a respiratory infection are over. And one of the sites where they see some evidence that this might be going on is is in the gut.
1: So you've looked into a series of studies into this sort of gut reservoir of COVID. And this is essentially people finding fragments of viral RNA in the gut of people, sometimes many, many months after the infections. Tell me, where do these studies come from? Because they've been going on for a while, right?
2: Yeah, there are quite a few studies. And I probably should say right at the start that none of them really definitively answer the question yet, and maybe that's something we can talk about more later. But there have been quite a few studies done, particularly looking at shedding of viral material in stool samples. That's one quite common way. Some of the other studies uh, have looked at biopsies that have been taken during endoscopies. And they, they've all been looking for some signs of viral material. So most often what they find is viral RNA. Some of the studies have also found some viral proteins present as well. One thing that they do not typically find is a virus that they can then culture and that they can show is still replicating in the gut. So that's something they haven't been able to find. And they don't know if that means that it's not there or if that it's just not making it all the way through to a stool sample, for example it may be higher up in the in the gut and you know what we may be seeing are viral RNA like bits of the virus being shed but you know the the viral reservoir if there is one could maybe exist higher up in the gut.
1: Right and I suppose this speaks to the kind of ghost analogy right is what they're finding is remnants of the fact that there has been virus there but we knew that this virus gets into cells through ACE2 receptors we know there are ACE2 receptors all over the body so it's not surprising that there might have been you know virus at some point after an infection in various different places beyond the lungs in the body the question is is it remaining there after the infection
2: yeah i mean in some cases they're finding you know this viral rna or these viral antigens months after the infection appeared to have been cleared from the respiratory system. So it's sort of hard to imagine RNA hanging out that long without being degraded, really, during that time. So it feels like there must be some sort of source of this, but they haven't shown it yet. And so that's the key. Someone needs to show that this virus is actually active still somehow in the body to support that idea of the viral reservoir.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, I guess some of these studies started back when we had no concept that long COVID was going to be a thing, necessarily. These were just studies where people were trying to investigate gastrointestinal symptoms, or maybe even anecdotal at the time, symptoms of COVID, just to kind of get a sense of what's going on there. And now this is potentially providing a different avenue, i.e. where is long COVID coming from?
2: Yeah, it was interesting when I interviewed some of the researchers on these studies, and over and over again, I kept hearing, you know, well, we did this because it was the early days and we didn't realize that SARS-CoV-2 could infect cells in the gut. It was just sort of like a flashback to all the things we didn't know at the time. You know, Someone else who was a gastroenterologist was saying, well, you know, it was the early days and we saw these symptoms like vomiting and diarrhea and we worried about our patients who have an autoimmune condition that can irritate the gut. And so we were looking at biopsies from them to see you know, if there were signs of additional inflammation and so on. As everybody had started out looking at something different. And then as they learned about long COVID, they said, oh, well, we have samples or we have protocols in place where we could look at this too. So it's been that sort of evolution of research in response to the pandemic. And, you know, as things sort of slow down and we understand more, I think we'll see some more comprehensively designed studies.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, I suppose this starts to get to where some of the caveats can come in here, right? You mentioned that some of these early studies were, for example, in people with autoimmune conditions like inflammatory bowel disease. So you might have lots of samples which are giving you some really interesting information. But those samples are also all people who have got an autoimmune disease. And so it may not be reflective of people more broadly.
2: That's right. So each of these studies, you know, still has caveats to it. And some of them are important when you try to extrapolate, well, how does this apply to the larger population? So if you're looking at people who have an autoimmune disorder, it's not clear whether they're able to clear the virus in the same way as someone who doesn't have an autoimmune disorder might be able to do. One of the studies also didn't completely rule out the possibility of reinfection months later by the same variant of of SARS-CoV-2. So each of the studies has something like this. We also looked at a preprint, has it been peer reviewed yet, of I think probably one of the largest autopsy studies to date of, of SARS-CoV-2 infection. But most of the samples there were from people who had had severe COVID. And a lot of the questions you know that people are asking these days are, well, what about mild and moderate infections that lead to long COVID? What's going on there? So that study may not necessarily answer those questions. So there's lots of room for improvement on these studies, but they do point to the possibility that there could be this long-term reservoir. And we certainly do see that with some other viruses, right? I mean, HIV is legendary for for living and thriving in the body for for years, decades. You have other viruses like hepatitis C virus, for example, or even someone I know just got shingles, right? So that's the virus that causes chickenpox. It lies dormant and then decades later can become reactivated. So there is precedent for for viral reservoirs lasting long periods of time, but we just have to really nail down whether or not that's going on with SARS-CoV-2.
1: We started off talking about the gut here, but these various studies have found evidence of viral RNA in lots of different organs. So the heart, the eyes, the brain, even the appendix and the breast. So all of these things are pointing towards potentially reservoirs being around, whether or not they're causing Long COVID is still the link that's yet to be made, but it is compelling evidence to suggest that this reservoir hypothesis has legs.
2: Yeah, I think as long as you don't find it conclusive evidence that the viral reservoir exists, <laughs> that's the key. Instead, it, but it is compelling evidence that this hypothesis has legs. Yes, I think that's true. Yeah, and
1: there have also been studies which aren't directly looking for viral RNA but that are also almost looking for proxies to suggest that there is an infection there. One study you mentioned here looked at B cells, right, which was a really fascinating kind of proxy way to suggest that there was infection still going on there.
2: That was a lovely study. Yeah, that one was this 2021 study. And that was the study that a number of different researchers told me is what sort of got them thinking about using their samples to look for viral reservoirs and remnants of viruses was because of that study. And what that study did, part of what that study did, in any case, was it looked that the evolution of antibody responses or the evolution of antibodies produced by cells in the immune system called memory B cells. And they showed that, you know, six months, I think it was, after infection, or maybe an average of four months after infection, um, that they were still seeing, you know, some evolution of these antibody responses in a way that suggested that those memory B cells were being exposed to some component of the virus still, you know, were still sort of responding to that antigen, we would say.
1: Okay, so there is all these sort of hints, all these ghosts, as you've mentioned in this story, about potential viral reservoirs in these various different areas in the body. But we've said that there needs to be more rigorous studies to find out more what, are those studies going to look like? And does it have to be one huge study, or are there other things that scientists can do?
2: I mean, you would like to see a big study. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have to be just one big study, but you would like to see a larger study with more samples. You would like to see, you know, some of these caveats addressed. You'd like to see it. I think a lot of people would really like to see this in people who had had mild or, or maybe moderate COVID nineteen, as opposed to severe. And, but it doesn't just have to be analyzing biopsies and analyzing stool samples and so on. There are other approaches. And one, you know, one person said what he really wants to see is for researchers to show some sign that the virus is in the body and evolving in the body, like continuing to change as it is in the body, you know, to the res- in response to the immune system, for example. I mean, we know people who have uh, problems with their immune system and can't mount a full immune response can have very long lasting infections. And those have been studied and, and in terms of viral evolution. But I think the question might be then, you know, can someone with a fully active immune system continue to harbor virus for a long period of time? And does that virus show signs of continuing to replicate and evolve in that person. That would be a key experiment that, you know, at least one person has said would sort of convince them that there is a viral reservoir.
1: And my assumption is that once you start being able to show that link, it starts to give you new routes through which you can think of therapies or ways to tackle long COVID. When you know what the beast is, it's easier to attack it or or defend against it, I
2: suppose. It does. I mean, you could think, oh, well, if it's a viral reservoir issue, then maybe if you treated with antivirals or something like that to try to help clear that reservoir, maybe that would help. But I have to say there's a very difficult question for research funders, I guess, right now, which is, you know, if you have a finite pool of resources how much effort to put into finding the cause of long COVID versus how much effort to put into finding treatments for long COVID. I mean, it's hard because you have so many people who are suffering now. You want to go towards treatments as quickly as possible. But at the same time, if you don't know the causes fully, you may be missing out on possible treatment avenues or you may pursue the wrong ones and, and so on. So it's, it's a really tough time, I think, because the demand, the need is so big for these treatments. But how long do you spend tracking down you know, the etiology of this disorder as opposed to just going after whatever looks like, you know, the lowest hanging fruit and putting your efforts there.
1: In the meantime, there are some studies that have been launched, the Recover Trial, for example, from the US National Institutes of Health. And one would hope that those trials which are aiming to understand the cause of long COVID will start to maybe take viral reservoirs into account and and add them to the list of things that they're going to be looking into?
2: Yeah, NIH Recover is a great example because that one is one where they are hoping for some subset of participants to collect, for example, biopsies from the intestines. So, you know, that would be a chance for them then to look for any signs of a viral reservoir or viral antigen still lingering in people with long COVID. And there are, as time has gone on, bigger, more sophisticated studies of long COVID. It's been hard. You know, I don't want to say that they've been dragging their feet. Researchers have been dragging their feet by any means because it's a hard thing to study. It's it's nebulous. It's poorly defined. It's very clearly important but it's just hard to get a handle on how to study it in the best possible way. Mm.
1: And in the meantime, you know, one of the researchers you've quoted in your story has said they're not going to wait for that study, right? They're just going to try to collect biopsies and samples from everywhere they can get them.
2: You know, it was not even that he didn't want to wait. It was that the community, the long COVID community didn't want to wait. So they contacted him and said, look, we've got members of our community who are dealing with cancer diagnoses or having biopsies for a variety of different reasons. Can we just send you tissue from that? (laughs) And can you study it and look for signs of some sort of viral reservoir or antigen, you know, lingering viral antigen in these biopsies? I think it really speaks to, oh, I guess not only the need in the community, but also, you know, how organized and proactive and really thinking about this, that community is.
1: It does. Again, it really highlights the power of patient advocacy, which I think is really powerful throughout medicine. But in this case, even more so because it's something that has affected so many people from so many walks of life across the world. And I guess to some extent, that's why I think I wanted to talk about this today. You know, often when we cover stories in Coronapod, we're covering a paper that's found some kind of smoking gun or is closer to a smoking gun, some kind of big development. Whereas here, we've got a load of studies and a load of research, which is finding all these hints, all these suggestions, but it's not giving us answers yet. But that's very much the nature of you know, medical research in many ways. And the need that we've just been discussing is so huge that I think this is what makes it tip a bar for us to keep talking about it, to update what we do know, even if what we do know is what we don't know, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think when we're quiet about it, it, people start to wonder and, and then they start to speculate. Or I also worry sometimes that hypotheses become a bit fixed in the in all of our minds, you know, not just the public, but all of our minds, you know, that we, we hear so much about the viral reservoir. And then we think, yeah, that's a thing that exists. And then, you know, you just need reminding every once in a while that actually hasn't fully been shown yet. We're not 100% sure. You know, it's a possibility. But here's what we still need to do. Here's what we know and what we don't know. So
1: well, maybe we'll be talking again in the near future about maybe that moment where that link has been drawn. But for now, let's leave it there. Heidi, thank you so much for
0: joining me.
2: Oh, thank you, Noah. It's a pleasure.
0: Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra.